Welcome to episode 141 of the TruthQuest podcast, The Truth About Antifa, Fighting Fascism Through Fascistic Means. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as Antifa, Clarence Thomas, Rush Limbaugh, politically induced mental illness, or totalitarianism comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on a host of platforms, including iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, BitChute, Brighteon, ThinkSpot, Rumble, and Instagram, where I post a short highlight of each show at instagram.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Whatever platform you may be listening to this on, please take a moment and give it a five-star rating or leave a positive review. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through online advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. While this episode is about Antifa, I want you to make sure you listen to the entire episode because I put all of the anti-America movement puzzle pieces together at the end. Antifa is only one of the pieces. Make no mistake, the acceptance and tolerance of Antifa by the mainstream left is their greatest victory. Think about the 2020 riots. A sizable portion of Democratic politicians, intellectuals, academics, and journalists found the riots and looting justifiable. Remember how they characterized Antifa as mostly peaceful protesters? As cities burned in the background. They justified the riots if they were committed in the name of racial justice or social justice or whatever type of justice the woke warriors thought of that day. The extent to which the left goes to protect Antifa is quite astonishing, and in the end, it's evil. Hell, just last week, Attorney General nominee Merrick Garland testified before the Judiciary Committee and explained that domestic terrorism only occurs during normal business hours. You know, like the storming of the Capitol in January of 2021, as opposed to the rioting and looting and burning done by Antifa at night. Thanks to the National Democrats, the education establishment, law enforcement, the media, and so-called journalists, Antifa is no longer considered a fringe group. Let's quickly dispel of a few well-established myths about Antifa. First of all, Antifa is not an idea, as Biden called them during a debate with Trump. Secondly, they are not mostly peaceful. It's quite the opposite, as we will discuss. And finally, they are not liberal. As a matter of fact, when it came clear that Biden was going to win the election, an Antifa mob in Portland took it up a notch, painting F. Biden and no presidents on buildings in downtown Portland. And they flew a banner that read, We don't want Biden, we want revenge. So that's a little bit about what Antifa is not. We'll spend the rest of the episode discussing what they are. In the simplest terms, they are a violent extremist movement that believes in using terrorist attacks to further their political agenda. They are sophisticated and committed to destroying their opponents. They are obsessive and compulsive in their desire, and they will use any means to accomplish their goals. Now, as you probably know, Antifa stands for anti-fascism, which is interesting since they employ fascistic tactics to get what they want. It's a bit confusing, I admit. So what is fascism exactly? Well, let's start with the Wikipedia definition because we know it'll be the most generous to leftists. Quote, 
Fascism is a form of far-right authoritarian ultranationalism characterized by dictatorial power, forcible suppression of opposition, and strong regimentation of society and of the economy, which came to prominence in the early 20th century Europe." End quote. Now, let's stop right there and get our definition straight, because people throw around terms like left-wing and right-wing, and they end up talking past each other. Fascism is not a far-right ideology. It's a far-left ideology. The political spectrum really is a liberty and freedom spectrum. On the far right of the spectrum is anarchy, or maximum liberty and freedom, extremely limited government, or no government. On the far left of the spectrum is where fascism resides, total control by the government, no liberty. Antifa is a hybrid. They are anarchists in that they hate government, which places them at the far right of the spectrum, but they are anti-freedom and liberty, which places them on the far left of the spectrum. On the right, it's characterized by natural God-given rights, private property, the non-aggression principle, and free speech. On the left end of the spectrum, where fascism resides in communism and Marxism and socialism, totalitarians in general, it's characterized by intolerance and indoctrination, compelled compliance and conformity, things like cancel culture, no free speech, no religion, destroying the nuclear family, taking away your guns, defunding police. See, Antifa purposely bastardized the definition of fascism. It's wide open, which is advantageous to their endgame, which is tearing shit up, protesting, violence, extremism, and injuring people. As you will see, to them, fascism simply means anything they disagree with. In the end, Antifa is a radical left-wing movement composed of militants, anarchists, communists, and collectivists. What unites them is a militant opposition to free markets, capitalism, and the destruction of the United States, its institutions, its culture, its history, its philosophy. They have made it taboo to be patriotic and grateful for America. They are the types that say, make America great again are fighting words and racist. These are the same people who claim America was never great. They think carrying or flying the flag means you deserve a beating. It's all very civilized and based in reality, don't you think? Antifa is a cross-pollination between Marxism, anarchism, critical theory, social justice, politics, inter intersectionality, all that stuff. It's kind of a big mix. Unlike radical left-wing revolutions of the past, it's no longer the workers who lead the rebellion. Now it's blacks, trans, indigenous people, and any other perceived aggrieved groups. More on that in a minute. A cornerstone belief of Antifa is police are murdering black and brown people in epidemic proportions, which of course is absolute bullshit. They reject the usefulness of police and advocate for their defunding, likewise with the military. They would prefer to replace the police with armed community self-defense. Some loony leftists have actually suggested using the police funding to hire more social workers because, you know, when your house gets broken into in the middle of the night, you want a social worker with their clipboard to show up. Anyways, Antifa does not permit any cooperation with law enforcement. They claim to be anti-racist and pro-equity. Now, they're not pro-equal opportunity but just the obscure, undefinable equity. And for a little communist flavor, the movement explicitly rejects the value of individuals in favor of the cause. They continue to call for a utopian society. 
White supremacy and capitalism are linked to America's history of slavery. White privilege allowed property to be acquired. This line of reasoning is used to enforce the anti-American mentality. They want to undermine the rule of law. Anything that brings order in society must be broken down. They justify acts of protest if perpetrated against valid targets. Those targets are, of course, determined by them. They claim to want to, quote, disrupt fascistic activity, end quote. Again, remember that fascistic activity is defined as anything they disagree with. They claim to oppose oppression while at the same time oppressing others. It's lunacy. Antifa is anti-free speech. As a matter of fact, according to them, free speech is fascism. What's not fascism? Words are violence. This is often cited to justify their violent behavior against opposing views. They demonize those who disagree with them. They're fascists, racists, white supremacists, white nationalists, or a Nazi, which is weird because Hitler was a fascist. If you disagree with them, you are guilty of wrong think. They even will attack the ACLU and corporations if they don't do right by them. The media is constantly parroting Antifa types warning us about white supremacists, QAnon, the alt-right and right-wing crazies. Yet it's the Antifa types that are burning cities. They constantly point to far-right extremists. Yet no one in the corporate press ever asked them to name one group that meets this definition. Where are these dangerous groups? No one ever points to actual white supremacists or white nationalist groups. It's just a boogeyman around the corner. Antifa learned from the anarchists of the 1960s that they needed to decentralize their organization. That they did, and they did it well. The organization is comprised of a decentralized system of cells and affinity groups that share the same ideology. They recognize that accelerated acts of violence, like mass killings, are too high risk. So are, their goal is maximum damage without death. Maintain momentum of riots and drain government resources and kill the morale of law enforcement. They support those in the network and those outside who have similar aims and principles. This is what is known as the phantom cell structure that is similar to, and more familiar to most of us, the global jihad structure. The unifying ideology and political agenda ties them all together. Now, as you will see, they also have localized cells and groups with formalized structures and membership. In 2017, a Project Veritas reporter infiltrated a prominent Antifa group. He provided a ton of information from the inside that had never before been known, demonstrating just how organized and thorough Antifa is. This particular Antifa group, called Rose City, has a six-month radicalization process and training. After completing the program and receiving the unanimous consent of the members, you receive membership. Sounds like a sophisticated gang, doesn't it? Training includes Marxism, history of militant anti-fascism, white supremacy, security topics, typology, reconnaissance, surveillance, intelligence gathering, tactical, martial arts training, security protocols, information security, and firearms. Skill sets like militant direct action and research methods are taught. They explore class, gender, and race issues as they relate to the struggle against fascism. They recommend specific internet browsers, encryption software, and software designed to maintain anonymity. Their list of obsessions is quite extensive. They are obsessed with race, you know, white privilege, white nationalism, insurgent white nationalism. Did you know that 
quote, whiteness was invented to break working class solidarity, end quote. I realize that makes no sense. My, my question is, was blackness invented too? I mean, what's up with their obsession with skin pigment? They obsess over nativists, the alt-right, anti-Semitism. They dwell on the intersectionality of oppression, patriarchal of oppression, classism, transphobia, and a host of other woke virtue signaling concepts. It's my personal belief that they maintain this laundry list of things to be offended by in opposition groups in order to basically find a reason to break a few windows, throw a few bricks at cops, and smash some skulls in. One of the reasons Antifa has found an ally in the National Democrats is because they both rely on the grievance ideology. In order to maintain power and or have an excuse to raise hell and break shit, both require a perpetual victim class or perceived aggrieved groups, as I like to call them. Antifa employs a diverse set of tactics to achieve their goals of undermining the country, capitalism, and law enforcement. Violence or the threat thereof is, of course, Antifa's bread and butter tactic, specifically urban violence. They use calibrated levels of violence to provoke reactions from law enforcement for propaganda purposes. Those who study Antifa will tell you they use the same tactics in virtually every altercation. It usually starts with traveling mobs, for example, out of the 175 people arrested in Kenosha, Wisconsin in the summer of 2020, 102 had addresses in other states. So typically, they'll start out by stealing trash bins to start fires in. Then comes the equipment and the supply lines. Riot gear, commercial-grade fireworks, gasoline canisters, mace, brass knuckles, batons, bricks, rocks, loaded slingshots, and blinding lasers. Tactically, they'll employ shield formations. They mix quickcrete in milkshakes that is then poured on their opponents' heads during the assaults, causing burning of skin and eye problems. I mean, can you just imagine having concrete poured on you? Then there are traveling mutual aid groups. They call them revolutionary communes. Food trucks, street medics, resuppliers, tear gas leaf blowers, human shields. Another common tactic is to use peaceful protesters as shields by putting them in the front row, while right behind them are the violent protesters hurling stuff at the police lines. Remember the corporate press accounts of the protest moms in 2020? They're so innocent. They're just protesting the bigoted police departments and the unknown racism while the cops tear gas them. Doxing is a favorite tactic designed to intimidate and cast fear on the doxy. Doxing is the practice of giving out addresses and personal information of your opponents for the sole purpose of leading Antifa vigilantes to take action. You know, show up at your residence or at work, or better yet, show up at your kid's soccer practice. They want you to fear living a normal life. Antifa types are trained to avoid the press, even liberal sympathetic ones because they fear being identified because they're cowards. If their cause was just, if they weren't breaking the law, if they were truly protesting peacefully, you don't need to hide your identity. Now, while they are trained to avoid the press, they often pretend to be members of the press, printing out stupid lanyards with the word press on it. Then they would provoke cops to arrest them in order to get a photo op of a member of the press being manhandled by the police. It's quite brilliant and sinister. The ACLU of Oregon even got involved at one point, and some dumbass federal judge went along and exempted anyone, quote, identifying as a journalist be exempt from the disbursement orders of the police. So what do you think happened? Half the mob had press credentials, of course. Vandalism is another favorite tactic, 
Window breaking is characterized as an act of protest against capitalism and white supremacy and police. Attacks on taxpaying businesses hurts police who rely on their funding via tax dollars. All of it is an attack on property rights, which communists do not believe in, so it kind of makes sense. The media and useful idiot politicians, of course, play right along. Remember the line about businesses have insurance, so it's okay to break their shit? They employ intimidation, mob manipulation, online harassment. Propaganda is another of their diverse tactics. Information warfare made easy by sympathetic journalists who present an alternative universe to their readers, listeners, and viewers. They obfuscate and lie on behalf of Antifa, presenting them as anti-fascists, fighting racism while ignoring the most important point, their violent tendencies and the destruction of private property. In addition to the help from the corporate press, Democratic politicians at all levels also help with the spreading of Antifa's propaganda. We have mayors and city councils in places like Portland, Baltimore, Seattle, Minneapolis, and Louisville, stifling police and advocating for their defunding. Then, of course, there are governors, members of Congress, and the current president, all either allying with Antifa and BLM, or lying about their activities, or simply ignoring them altogether. Without the corporate press pushing Antifa's agenda, the idea group would be toast. Remember federal officers picking up rioters in Portland after a month or more of occupation? How was it depicted in the corporate press? Do you remember? Trump sends federal officers into Portland to kidnap peaceful protesters off the street. In other words, secret police sent to disappear protesters. That was fake news. That was propaganda of the highest order. As was the reporting on Jacob Blake, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Trayvon Martin, and Michael Brown. And as with any sophisticated paramilitary operation, they're always looking for other effective tactics. Lately, they have shown interest in targeting neighborhood associations with the goal of setting up autonomous zones. Speaking of autonomous zones, let's examine one. What an Antifa utopian society might look like. Well, how about CHOP, or CHAZ? It had two names. This was in Seattle. Capitol Hill occupied protests, and then I think it got changed to Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. This was back in the summer of 2020, where signs stated, quote, the United States ceases to exist here, end quote. They took over six city blocks. All the citizens that lived there in a police precinct were all abandoned. Cowardice politicians allowed it to run its course for more than three weeks. It was characterized by anarchy, lawlessness, chaos, and brute force criminality with one rule, no cops. It was a complete disaster. The corporate press dutifully either glossed over it, ignored it, or described it as a street festival. The only street festival that I'm aware of in which private property was taken, burned and looted, large parts of a major city were occupied, city property stolen, people routinely assaulted, raped, and killed with no police intervention. Sounds like utopia, doesn't it? How about on a bigger scale? The former country of East Germany. It's probably the closest thing to Antifa's utopia. It was nothing but a failed state, one big spy operation with a failed economy. It's weird how a group whose ideology advocates for open borders so stringently enforces borders around their cherished autonomous zones. Hell, East Germany had the infamous Berlin Wall to stop people from escaping, not to keep people out. That's just a glimpse into what the world according to Antifa looks like. It ain't pretty. Chaos, violence, and death. 
No private property. No rule of law. Just rule of the strongest guy on the block. So you say, what's the appeal of Antifa? Why embrace communism, anarchy, and or authoritarians? when nearly one-third of the world's population already lives under an authoritarian state with limited freedoms and liberty. Andrew No, a leading expert on Antifa and the author of Unmasked, put it this way, quote, Antifa offers community, protection, and purpose, organized like a zealous religious movement with the constant feeding of ideology and propaganda. They believe a communist utopia is possible. No borders, police, prisons, racism, or fascism. All material needs met by community mutual aid, not through working in the exploitive capitalist system, end quote. Well, what can be done? Well, the RICO Act may be one way of prosecuting Antifa. That's the organized crime law. I mean, Antifa is definitely organized. They're definitely criminal. Money definitely filters to them. They then provide radicalization training and instruction on committing crimes across state lines, as outlined earlier. There is just a lack of a will on the part of law enforcement to do anything about it. You think the Justice Department or the FBI, the same one that spent three years trying to frame Trump, is going to go after Antifa? You think liberal district attorneys like those in Seattle, Portland, Los Angeles, and Chicago are going to prosecute these thugs? Hell no. These are the same DAs who who have announced that they will no longer prosecute for various crimes those under $950 in property theft, or resisting arrest, or interfering with the police officer, or vandalism. All of them are afflicted with politically induced mental illness. See episode 136 for more on that. One final thought before I wrap this episode up. Can you think of another domestic terrorist organization that walked around with face coverings so their identity would be concealed? Come on, think real hard. Instead of wearing black clad outfits with masks, they wore, you know where I'm going with this, white hoods. They ran around in gangs, outnumbering their prey, because each individual member was a coward. Mobs are, by definition, full of cowards. Now don't get me wrong, there are the lone wolf crazies in every crowd, KKK and Antifa included, but the majority are cowards who are comforted by the crowd and their anonymity. Let me leave you with one final thought. For those of you who listened to this episode soon after its release in early 2021, have you noticed that Antifa has not been in the corporate press lately? I mean, it was just a few short months ago that it was wall-to-wall coverage. For months. What changed? Hmm, let me think. Oh, right. The resident at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue changed. That's it. So, in the end, Antifa is just one of the many tools in the National Democrats' left-wing extremist toolbox. It's a rather well-organized group of society malcontents who get to go out and break shit and burn stuff and hurt people they disagree with and suffer no consequences for it. They're no different than crooked left-wing judges who legislate from the bench. They're no different than corrupt secretaries of state, cowardly governors, legislatures, and board of elections who refuse to enforce their election laws. They're no different than leftist bureaucrats inside state and federal agencies that are building and writing most of our vast regulatory state. They're no different than our two-tiered justice system, one for well-connected Democrats and one for everyone else, one where the Justice Department spends three years running down a false Russia collusion narrative against a president. One where we find several FBI officials lied to the FISA court and lied to Congress and lied to the American people, suffering no consequences. 
They are no different from the evil leadership of the National Democrats, who lie to the American people more ruthlessly than the FBI and its leadership, and who held two sham impeachment trials of President Trump. They are no different from our fraudulent education system that refuses to teach real American history, refuses to teach at all in some democratic strongholds. Speaking to you today where teachers unions are refusing to go back to work supposedly for fear of COVID despite the fact that schools have been open in many parts of the country for seven months. They are no different than our entertainment apparatus, which is void of anything conservative, anything wholesome, anything natural, anything resembling truth. They're no different than the dishonest corporate press that not only boldly lies to the American people, but also lies via omission. It's what they don't include in their newscasts and their writings. It's the questions that they don't ask directly to or of Democrats, Antifa types, law enforcement, members of Congress, and the judicial system. And last but not least, they're no different than big tech that is censoring anyone who steps outside the 3 by 5 card of allowable opinion, as Tom Woods used to say. Anyone who does not toe the party line must be silenced. So think about the picture I just painted. What does that tell you? What explains this cabal? What is the root cause, so to speak? It's the same message that, that I've been preaching in virtually every episode. It's about power and control. If the federal government was put in its rightful place, one of limited power over a few enumerated things, no one would give two shits who won the presidency. No one would care what the likes of psycho Nancy Pelosi did in the House because the Senate, comprised of members who were appointed by their state legislatures, before the 17th Amendment, of course, they wouldn't dare vote for any of that sycophantic left-wing garbage legislation because they would be hauled back home and replaced with another senator. If the Federal Reserve was abolished, the federal government could no longer sell bonds to the central bank with impunity. The Fed, of course, creates the money that they use to buy the bonds, which, as anyone with an ounce of common sense knows, does not end well. It's immoral and it's unconstitutional. This is the world in which we live. Antifa, which is only an idea in the scrambled and diminished brain of Joe Biden, plays a small but significant role in maintaining the corrupt status quo. And that is the truth about Antifa, fighting fascism through fascistic means. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truth quest podcast.